0: The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board.
1: Now here's the thing. Paul Corsaro, the head coach at the University of Indianapolis, who's going to take on Indiana in exhibition on Sunday at the Assembly Hall, 1 o'clock tip. And we're going to talk plenty about not only that matchup, but also the Hounds and the roster that he has. But I've got to begin by asking this, and it's been a while since it happened. But if I'm not mistaken, Coach, you guys played an exhibition all-star game in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, so... A buddy of mine, we just got back from our annual road trip. Every year we fly somewhere and then we rent a car and we drive back. And we've we've kind of done it from every direction is the only problem now. So we're running out of options. Like next year we might just do 465 for like 20 laps Uh and call it a day. Um, (laughs) And he actually mentioned, he's like, what about Nova Scotia? Let's fly to Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is like a, I mean, it's literally like a three-day drive. Um, Was Nova Scotia cool?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I was going to ask, you, man. That, that is a cool place, isn't it? It was really, really. No, weird, I haven't been. To
1: that's what I'm Halifax. saying. We're contemplating oh. it for next year. So, oh,
2: I, th- I, th- I thought. I I thought you're saying you already done it. I apologize. No, no it is. A, yeah, I highly recommend it. It's really, really neat. It's beautiful. Um, you know, downtown Halifax has a lot of history. I, I'd say it's like combining the feel of downtown Boston and Maine together. Like, it's kind of got a little bit of both. And, you know, really seen it get on the water and all that kind of stuff. And I I hear there's some really good golf up there, too. Didn't get a chance to do that. So I would definitely say do it.
1: Did you get a chance, and I'm curious, you know, Coach, whenever teams do these kinds of trips, right, and you did, you were in Nova Scotia for, I I don't know, what, half a week, a week, something like that. You played three games up there.
2: Seven seven days. Three games in seven days.
1: Yep. You know, part of that is about learning – where you guys are on the floor obviously but i would imagine that part of that too is like just like when companies have everybody like we're going to take wednesday a half day and we're all going to go to the escape room and whatever else and you know all of a sudden you find yourself working with sally from accounting who you've never really talked to and you're working on a project together and you're like man she's pretty cool and like kind of the same thing i mean isn't there an element of getting to know your guys or letting them get to know each other in a way that is different than x's and o's
2: that's that's what's even more important is that you hit a spot you were spot on with that assessment. You know we played three games, but you know it was AAU style. You know we got on the bus in our gear. We really didn't do a scouting report. We just kind of rolled out the balls and play, and that was that was good. But the team bonding, the the the, the time that that guys got to spend with one another. Um, me getting to figure some of our new guys out. You know, we took everybody. We took our our, our SID. We took our our strength and conditioning coach and his wife. You know, my wife came. Came all, all of our coaches' significant others came on the trip. And so it was more of a. team bonding family experience Um, and then our point guard Josiah Tynes is from Nova Scotia so he got a chance to play some home games in front of his family which made it even more special
3: Head Coach of UND Paul Casaro is our guest Coach also on that trip I know how important for your program and UND as a whole whenever you guys can make an impact on communities you're going to do so you get an opportunity to stop by North Preston Community largest Black Community in Nova Scotia highest concentration of African Canadians as well in all of Canada and you guys hosted a free kids clinic what was that like for your group and, and how cool was that part of the trip
2: that 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 was a great way to kind of culminate everything you know it was the day after our last game and that's actually the community center that josiah the the player that i alluded to that he grew up at and you know he still has a lot of friends and families that you know that's where they get uh their basketball in and you know when josiah goes home in the summer that's where he works out so it was great for our team to you know give back it was good for people in Josiah's community to see what he's doing with his life because he's such a role model and to see the pride that community has in Josiah, that's what I really took away from him. I mean, I'm really proud of uh, the the man that Josiah is and and you know I know his community's following his senior year.
1: Again, the U Indy Greyhounds going to be in Bloomington. Paul Carsaros, our head their head coach chatting with us right now, going to be in Bloomington to take on Indiana on Sunday. Coach in preparation for that game in an exhibition against Indiana How much of getting ready for that game is you looking at what Indiana has versus still trying to figure out what you have?
2: You know, I think it's always more about us. You know, Indiana's Indiana. You know, they're always going to be Uh, one of the best teams in the country you know it's one of the most storied programs in in college basketball history and they have some really good players now the thing with them is you know they haven't played yet you know we don't have much film on them because they have a lot of new faces too now those new faces are extremely talented they got some really really good transfers Uh, they got some good new guys coming in and you know and you know Xavier Johnson's back but you know we don't have a lot of footage of what this group of IU basketball looks like together on the court at the same time. So yeah, we're going to go back and look at film and see what they've done in the past. But this is more about um, us doing
1: us and being the best versions of you, Indy. I've always wondered. I've asked several coaches this question, and the answer is kind of vary, coach. So I'm curious your answer in terms of this matchup. When you're getting set for, and I, look, I know you want to you want to win a game. I mean, you're playing, you want to win. I get that. When, when you have an exhibition and you're going against a program with which i'm assuming you've got some familiarity in terms of the staff with Mike Woodson in Indiana because it's an exhibition is there any sort of conversation understanding or agreement between staffs of hey we really need to i really need to find out what my how my guys are going to respond to like a matchup zone can you run a little of that for 5 or 8 minutes and is there any sort of Discussion at all in an exhibition of kind of asking the favor of each other of giving different looks to the other team.
2: That's more of a closed door scrimmage thing. You know, when you do a closed door scrimmage, you know, I think those conversations happen more often um, in terms of hey, I really like to see this. Can you do this? Now, sometimes when it's an exhibition, I've had plenty of these. There's been some coaches that want to know, like, okay, hey, I'm, I'm not asking you to do this or that, but can you give me an idea of what you what you plan to do? So we're not caught by surprise. And then some coaches just decide, hey, let's just roll the balls out, tip it up like a normal game. So every coach handles it a little differently, but specifically asking, hey, I want to see this or that, can you try doing this for me? That's more of a closed-door scrimmage thing.
1: You guys are going to open at home. It's it's a while still. November 16th, Saginaw Valley is going to be your home opener. Tickets are just $10 down there in a great – great i love the arena in terms of nickerson hall down there on the und campus people that come out to watch you guys play this year your identity is going to be what style of play in terms of what you would most want to be identified as you know
2: we're just going to be the team that plays plays the hardest and plays the toughest and plays does that for the longest you know i think we play 10 deep we got kids that you know, really play the right way and, and get after it defensively. We like to take our, our stops and get out and run and get easy transition baskets. So hopefully you see high intensity defense that leads to a lot of dunks on fast break. And, you know, we have some really long athletic guys. And yeah, that's really what you're going to see is just, just effort, grit, toughness, and really pushing the pace on offense, uh, letting our defense spark our offense.
3: Coach, a year ago you guys go twenty six and five. You're able to host your first postseason game in Nixon Hall since nineteen ninety seven. For you in your coaching tenure, what did you learn about yourself this offseason and how will the GLVC test your group this year?
2: You know, in terms of learning about, you know, taking taking last year and learning about myself is, you know, I thought I honestly did think in, in, in late January, early February, I, I thought we, we we had the argument that we were probably the best team in the country. Unfortunately we weren't come come March. And that's when it matters. So I took a lot of uh, – and that wasn't our guys' fault. I'm going to take ownership in that. Our guys gave me everything. I, you know, Me and my staff could have wanted last year, and they did a great job. And, you know, it's the head coach's job to try to make sure we're peaking at the right time. And we just peaked about a month too soon. So trying to come up with ways um, and, and self-reflect on what I can do as the leader to make sure our guys are fresh. And you know, feeling good and mentally and physically right, heading into postseason play—that's been my emphasis because I want to peak in March, and that's my main goal.
1: When you look at your roster right now, Coach, I think it's interesting because I see when I look at the roster, and part of this is just college basketball in general. I mean, you mentioned kind of the AAU nature of, uh, you know, the way that the influence that's had in college basketball. I think you know, kids aren't as they don't think as much about going away from home as they did like when I was in college, for example. It's just a different world. But when I look at your roster and where kids are coming from, to me, I see it as kind of a validation of the growth of UND basketball over the last 20 years or so. Because instead of seeing just kids that are from like the south side of Indianapolis, man, you got kids. If you can play, you're going to find them, right?
2: Oh, yeah. You know, we'll go out of country. We'll go anywhere in the U.S. You know, we're going to recruit and bring in the best players possible.
1: And with that, Again, I think I probably asked you this each year, but I'm always curious of it. Do you try to recruit based on a style you have in mind, or do you come up with a style based on how you've been able to recruit? You
2: know, kind of both, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we kind of have a general idea of, of hey, the way we play, and you know we, we, re- we return everybody usually on the most part on a year by year basis. So when we return a core, they kind of already fit a certain style. So what we're then looking for is more hey positionally and then class balance. Like, okay, hey, do we have a lot of juniors and seniors? Maybe we need to go more freshmen and sophomores. Hey, we have a lot of freshmen and sophomores, maybe we need to go more transfer heavy this year. So it's more then more of a, a class balance standpoint, it's more of a hey, positional needs standpoint, and they gotta fit in with what we already kind of have. Now, let's be honest, if we find a player that's just so unique and special, like a unicorn, and we've had a few of those come in, we're gonna take them and we're gonna figure it out, and then it's on us to adjust accordingly and and, and find a way to make that unique player fit with what we already do and that's where the adjusting comes in when you find a special player
3: he is the head coach of UNE basketball Paul Cassaro the Greyhounds get underway with exhibition at IU on Sunday season starts next Friday or November 10th rather at Parkside in Owensboro Kentucky coach best of luck this year thank you as always for making the time and looking forward to catching up with you down the line as the season unfolds
2: Guys, thanks for having me on. I do have one thing I got to say. We are selling alcohol at our home games this year, so Indianapolis fans come out and take part. Have a great week, guys. I'll see you. How about that? Woo!
1: Go out. All right. Have a cold one. Watch some basketball, right? Again, the 16th is going to be the home opener, so we'll remind everybody and and let them know about that before that rolls around. But down in Bloomington, taking on the Hoosiers Sunday, 1 o'clock for you, Indy. We're going to head down to one of the great and beautiful states amongst the 50 in this country, the state of Louisiana, where, by the way, you know, the state, I believe the state bird is the Pelican, right? I mean, I know they're the New Orleans Pelicans, but isn't that on the state flag down there, Jimmy? I think so. Big fan of Louisiana, man. Love the people down there. Uh, and they have a great passion for the New Orleans Saints, who are up next for the Colts. That game taking place Sunday on uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium, and joining us now to talk about that, David Grubb, who does a podcast, "Believe in Saints," amongst other things, talking about the Saints down in New Orleans, New Orleans, New which way do we say? David, which way do I say that if I want to do the proper accent?
4: I say New Orleans. Don't, Nor- say New don't say Nolans. Don't say Nolans ever. Just say New Orleans. Okay, so
1: Just, so the, like, <laughs> so like tourists rural. tourists say yeah. New Now here's here's how I would say mm-hmm. it. If I like, if I was flying there and buying a plane ticket, I'm going to say it naturally the way I would, and then you, I want you to critique it. You ready? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'd like one ticket please for um, New Orleans.
4: You're good. You're good. Yes, you're good. Love as that. As long as you don't put an E's on it. You know, that's that 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 is only for Johnny. Be good, you
1: know what I'm saying? Like, as long as you don't put that in and you don't do the knowledge, you're good. I love that. Uh, and then there's plenty of good grub down there, actually, once I get there. But, um, so David Grubb, first question would be this In terms of the Saints, interesting franchise because we were talking about this earlier. Not a team here in Indianapolis that we've talked a lot about so far this year. I think we kind of expected that they would also be in a transition era, in particular at the quarterback play. Where do things stand right now for the Saints in terms of are they ahead of or behind where you thought they'd be at this point or about on par?
4: Um, I think they're behind where they should be, Um, though my expectations for this this team were moderate uh, coming into the year. I thought they would finish, that they will finish somewhere between 7 and 10 wins. It just depends on how luck goes in the NFL. I don't have great expectations for them. But, you know, whenever you look at your record, it's not only what your record is, it's how you got there. And the biggest thing with the Saints was that they thought they had solved their quarterback issue with Derek Carr, which I don't know how many teams would say that in the NFL, but the Saints went with that. So at the bare minimum, you're expecting, when you've got four first-round picks and one second-rounder on your offensive line, you got Michael Thomas and Chris Olave on the outside and Alvin Kamara in the backfield, that your offense should score more than 20 points pretty regularly. And uh, with Dennis Allen as head coach, scoring points has been a real problem for the New Orleans Saints, and it continues to be a problem.
3: Is the anticipation that with two years still left before an out that would have a dead cap of about 11 million is the anticipation that they want to build around Carr over these next two seasons, or is, is he a placeholder that they, they kind of hope he does well for them, but it, it's not the end of the world. If he doesn't, is it, was this an all in move for the saints?
4: No, I think they're betting big on Derek Carr. And, um, You know, quite frankly, I I don't get why, but you know they've also bet big on Dennis Allen, a guy who's got 18 wins in the NFL and 42 losses. (laughs) So um, you have to just wonder right now if the organization understands where it is. Because I can think they're gonna rebuild. You can think they're gonna rebuild. But if the organization thinks they're one or two moves from being in contention, and they're clearly not
1: based on what we're seeing on the field, then there's nothing that can be done. David, I believe that Derek Carr is one of the most fascinating players in the NFL, and let me tell you why. Because certainly statistically and and in terms of accolades, there's nothing that really jumps out at you. And I don't know why this is, but I'm clearly not alone in the fact that I've always felt like he has franchise quarterback in him. He can throw accurately. He seems to have a good leadership about him that, that players rally around, yet yet it just has not taken off and at some point I got to convince myself that it hasn't by now it probably is never going to. What is it seemingly for a guy that's thrown for 1,600 yards, six touchdowns but does have four picks what seems to be the missing ingredient with Carr? I don't think he trusts what he sees on
4: the field. you know like the, the, the reputation that he's gotten in particular the last two years is you know you saw the Jaguars openly talking about it. we expect Derek Carr to check down. And if that's your expectation as a quarterback, when you're young, it's one thing. When when you're an older quarterback, and the arm ain't the the arm anymore, but he's still in his physical prime, and it's it's pretty you know just it's pretty obvious that he, he there are plays that he doesn't even look through the progression. He just goes right to the check down because it's the safest play. And I think maybe that's some shell shock from being under pass rush while he was in uh, Oakland and, and Vegas. I don't know what it is. But we also know in the NFL, if quarterbacks don't win by the time they're 30, they usually don't win. And it's just this is a guy who has not won anything. I think he's in a, in a big group of mediocre quarterbacks. That if, But if everything is perfect around them, then you could do something with him. And unfortunately, that's not the
1: situation he's in. Man, he's got some weapons, though, right? I mean, that's got to be the frustrating thing if you're a Saints fan. Like, I think the world of Alave. I think he's a great player. Um, do, we, do we think that there might be – are there enough things around him that it's just an acclimation period? Or to your point, I guess, is it just not going to happen? Are, are we throwing it in too early?
4: Well, the, the, big, the big issue here seems to be with the offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael. And um, Pete Carmichael is, is the subject of a lot of ire. Um, his play calling—he did not call the plays. You know, under Sean Payton, he was the offensive coordinator, but he was not the play caller. Uh, he has been the play caller under Dennis Allen, and the Saints' offense has regressed severely. Now, you could say, "Well, look, they've had these quarterback issues," but even uh, compared to last year, it's gotten worse. And that's the thing that, that people just don't understand. You went out and you got the quarterback you wanted. You've had him the entire offseason. He's been healthy. Your receivers have been healthy. The, you know, the things that you wanted in place, there shouldn't be this level of miscommunication. And that's what they've been talking about since week one, is that we've got to improve the communication. Well, why is it so bad when you guys have all been together this long? And it's a little bothersome at this stage that we're still talking about it. These are things that should have got worked out much earlier.
3: David, what if anything comes of Chris Olave's arrest in terms of the rest of the season? Is it just it's a speeding charge like for instance it if I was to get speeding today and get a violation to be arrested like I probably still come into work. I, is there any type of punishment from the team from Olave or is this just a hey be smarter move on?
4: Yeah, I mean it was it, it was it was bad. It was 70 on 35. Like we're not going to minimize it. You're, you're going double the speed right. limit. Um, but, you know, the NFL has not punished players in the past for these types of speeding violations. You know, we're not talking about a Henry Ruggs situation. Um, but uh, I think, you know, he's, he's, he's going to learn from this. He's a young guy, and I think he was frustrated. It was the weekend after a very emotional thing. And at 24, who, who hasn't sped, you know, uh, at, at late at night? At 44. So I think we've all been in that situation. Uh, I think he made some young mistakes um, as far as telling them, do you know I play for the Saints? I would, don't ever do that. Uh, but I think the rest of it, it, it won't affect his play because they need him. And he needs the team, I think. You know, he needs to, to reestablish his reputation because I think it's taken a hit, not only with that, but with a couple of things as, as far as him not running out routes completely.
1: David Grubb is our guest, journalist down in Louisiana that covers the Saints amongst other sports in the New Orleans area and Baton Rouge area. David, uh, the Saints, not unlike the Colts, have probably had uh, this year been a little inconsistent, I guess, in terms of – actually, they've been consistent in the fact that it's like win two, lose two, win two. But the, the games in which they have played well, their strength or the things that they have done that has allowed them to win is what?
4: Minimizing the big play and uh, taking advantage of turnovers on defense and then converting red zone opportunities. You know, this team has been one of the worst in the league offensively converting in the red zone, uh, and they've got to do that in order to win. The defense has given them opportunities. Um, You know, it hasn't been perfect, but it's given them opportunities. It's been one of the best scoring defenses in the league. So um, I think if if the the Saints can not give up the big play on the defensive end because they like to play a lot of man coverage, um, and that's where they've been susceptible with crossing routes or over the top um, if the defensive line is not creating pressure. Uh, so they've, they've been susceptible there. And then it's the turnovers. When they get them, they take advantage of them. Uh, and, of course, the red zone and special teams. You know, the, the special teams have hurt the Saints a lot. Blake Groupie's missed missed uh, three kicks already this season. One was a potential game winner. And uh, the
1: punting has been really poor. That's That with game-winning drive by Jacksonville was set up by a particularly poor punt. In terms of Saints Legends, so there's a restaurant in the French Quarter. It's the eve of Mardi Gras. Everybody and their brother is waiting around the block to get the last table there. And there's a table for four. And every living Saints Legend is waiting and wrapped around the block. What four get it and how close is Tracy Porter towards getting the seat?
4: Yeah. <laughs> If, it, if if
1: I picking the four, let's just say it's put up to a vote amongst like natives of the state of Louisiana. Can I get? Let me guess here, David. You ready? Uh huh. Drew Brees. Yeah. Ricky Jackson. Yep. Um. Joe Horn. Nope. Okay. Uh, Archie Manning. Yep. And Pat Swelling? nope. Okay, well, is Tracy Porter in there? He'd be in the group, but I, the guy's going to get ahead of him. Steve Gleason is going to get ahead of him. Oh yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I can understand that. I was going to say George Rogers, but it kind of didn't go well for him, right? I mean, right. Um, yeah. uh, and, and George
4: George is probably the most talented running back the franchise has ever had, and that includes you know Ricky Williams and Deuce McAllister. But yeah, it just didn't end well for George, Um, just in New Orleans and in his career
1: in general. He's one of those great what-ifs. Now, one of the age-old debates that we'll have forever, David, about New England, for example, is, you know, was it Belichick or was it Brady? Which was it? In any way, shape, or form, are we going to find out that some of the great dominance and, you know, just the era of sustained really good play, I guess a better way of saying it, for the Saints, was that more Breeze or Peyton? Or was it 50-50? And by Peyton, I mean Sean Peyton.
4: Yeah, I think they need each other. You know, it, there are things that Drew couldn't see in himself that Sean brought out of him, um, and there are things that only Drew could do in that system. Like the, there's a we say in New Orleans, there's a phrase that gets used constantly: Drew breathes like accuracy when somebody's giving their opinion because you just we we had not seen a passer who could place the ball so well, and you know a lot of people get completion percentage confused with accuracy. I think Sean, his aggressiveness, his imagination, and quite frankly his cajones, you know it, it, that that empowered Drew Brees, who didn't really have that under Marty Schottenheimer when you when you were using um, with the Chargers. So when you're given that kind of key, you need that, and they were able to do some great things together. I don't think you could either one of them could have done it without the other. And I think you know that's usually the marriage how it works when those when those coaches and quarterbacks talk about their relationship. It's the mental give-and-take that they respect about each other, and that was certainly apparent with Drew and Sean. How
1: close is Bobby Aber getting to the table?
4: Bobby got to the table. He played for the Falcons, man, and beat the Saints in a playoff game with a Falcons jersey on. So, like, Bobby hurt himself with that. Couldn't win a playoff (laughs) game with the Saints and won one against them with the Falcons. He can do all the radio he wants. He led the, you know, Super Bowl parade when they finally did win it and wore the Buddy Deliberto dress, but – that 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 playoff
1: game is always hurt okay. Him. How close is one of my all-time favorites? I'm telling you, David Grubb, one of my all-time favorite interviews, favorite guys. I love him. I loved covering him. How close is Jim Mora to getting to the table?
4: Oh, Jim! Jim, look, Jim is a is always going to be beloved here. I think he's very close um, to be it at the table. The the, mo- the modern Saints history begins with Jim Mora. You know what I mean? Like that's. The Superdome was not a feared place, right? Until Jim More, he, he kind of he's
1: the first to start to give that franchise some national legitimacy. Does that make sense? He gave us the identity, like the, the Who That chant became real. You know, it had been in New
4: Orleans for a while, but it became real. It became something that people feared, and and, and the Dome Patrol is under his watch. He assembled that. He assembled the greatest linebacking core in NFL history. So to me, Jim Moore, the like, A. If if he's not close, you know, he's, at least he's looking in the window while those first four guys come in.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I love it. David, speaking of conversations that maybe haven't reached their conclusion yet, but off of the Saints and switching to the Pelicans, do we ever find out anything in terms of the player Zion Williamson can be in terms of his availability? Is this finally the year at some point?
4: This is it. This is it for this organization, I think, with this group as presently constructed. Um, if Zion can't play 60 games plus this season, I think this team gets blown up. And, and it's a shame because all we've ever wanted as fans and as media and whatever is just to to get one legitimate season with this group to say, Either it works or it doesn't. And we've been constantly teased over this period of time. I mean, Zion's averaged 28.5 games per season in four years. So, you know, he looked very good last night in the opener as they beat Memphis. But a lot of us are just holding our breath because until it's game 82, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's just the way it is. It With, with Zion, until it's the end of the year and the Pelicans are in the playoffs, whatever he does between now and then,
1: it's just prologue. Now, David, the connection between our two cities to me is fascinating. So, I want you to not forget this. You ready? Like, if you, have you ever been to Indianapolis, David? No, I have not, but okay. I
4: definitely want to because yes, you are right. We have a number of connections, and there are certain things that I, I
1: have to see in in that area. Well, he, here's the thing that's fascinating to me. So, don't forget, as a as a guy that talks about the New Orleans Saints. When the Saints had the all-time leading score in NFL history that had been a Saint for the better part of his career, don't forget he went to high school at Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis. And when Jim Mora was done coaching there and was replaced by Rick Venturi on the interim level, Mora ended up in Indianapolis where Venturi had previously coached. And in addition yep. to that, when Peyton Manning was trying to, of New Orleans was trying to complete a pass to Reggie Wayne of New Orleans, it was Tracy Porter from Indiana that intercepted it to give New Orleans a Super Bowl title and thus able to raise the trophy for Drew Brees who played in West Lafayette, Indiana. So the connections are endless, right? Yes. So you come here. We'll go to Yats. We'll let you let us know whether or not the gumbo is authentic here in Indianapolis. And then we'll go over, again, how to exactly say New Orleans. Absolutely, guys. I, I would love it. All right, David, I appreciate it, man. Enjoy watching the game on Sunday. Thanks so much, and good luck to you guys as well. All right, life is easy down in the Big Easy. David Grubb, who actually is at Baton Rouge, by the way, another – cool town my buddy Byron and I on our road trip we did Baton Rouge last year and I thought Baton Rouge was fabulous
0: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips learn more about Cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you so long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
1: Okay, so let's get right to it. Matt Taylor joins us from West 56th Street in the Colts Complex, the voice of the Colts. And Matt, I'll start with something that surprised me a little bit, and I I am the first to admit there are times, sometimes that things surprised me and then I find out they were like common knowledge and I'm like oh I must have been asleep at the wheel Uh, Zach Moss being on the injury report with a heel and I believe it's elbow um, those came as a surprise to me is this cautionary or is this something that we've got to keep a pretty close eye on
5: you well, know, I think we're going to find out today because uh, he popped up on the injury report yesterday, so yesterday was really the first time all season that he's been on there, so yeah, he just kind of popped up yesterday, and Shane Steichen didn't say anything about Moss after the game on sunday, so i don't think I don't think you're the you're the only one because um, it it did kind of you know raise some eyebrows yesterday when I saw that for the first time, so uh, it is something to monitor, and we'll see if he's uh, back at all today limited
3: Matt. What's the messaging on Gardner Minshew in terms of the turnovers? The interceptions are more, like we mentioned, an anomaly, but now you're stacking back-to-back games of him getting strip-sacked. I understand that sacks are inevitable. They're going to happen, but is it more on Minshew in terms of, hey, you just got to hold on to the ball? I know Miles Garrett is an animal and he's one of one, but is it that? Is it more the offensive line? Is it an entire conversation? Where does it go in terms of ball security for him, specifically when pressure gets home?
5: yeah I think it's across the board for the for this offense to know that, hey, if we just don't kill ourselves, if we don't turn the ball over, if we don't give up so many easy um, scoring opportunities for the opposition. Because I said it earlier this week, I mean, the Browns, the Cleveland had five scoring drives of 40 yards or less. I mean, that's just gift wrapping uh, a loss. And that that's what really stinks for the Colts. I mean, they run, or they, excuse me, they rack up 456 yards of offense and they score 38 points. And you lose, and it's really hard to do that. But the reason why you, you you did lose that game is just because, you know, four turnovers and eight penalties, and obviously we saw the, you know, the the uh, the, the strip sack that was recovered for a touchdown that led to seven points, obviously directly for the defense. Uh, the the two questionable calls there at the end, like none of it mattered if the Colts just don't turn the ball over four times. And it, it's just a, another harsh reminder that in the NFL man it's real I don't care who you're playing I don't care who you're playing and where you play it is hard to win football games in the National Football League and the razor or I should say the the margin of error is razor razor thin and you're right Jimmy I mean the, the Miles Garrett completely ruined that game I think Rick Venturi at one point during the game said it's the Colts 21 and Miles Garrett 27 because that just is, it's that that's how the game felt to that point um, but yeah I think everybody on offense has to know Ball security has to be at a premium. That starts with Gardner Minshew. He talked about it, you know, this week, saying, "I got to have a better internal clock in my head. I have to, uh, you know, better understand where pressure is around me." And that's a hard thing to do. Listen, we we sit there and we watch the games. We're all these armchair quarterbacks. We think it's really easy, but you know, he he doesn't have uh, eyes behind his head. He's got to diagnose the defense and get into the right checks and make audibles at the light line of scrimmage and go through his reads and his progressions, all while having to know where 11 guys are on the field defensively all at the same time. It's really, really tough to do. But it just kind of feels like right now – it kind of feels like last year, right? Where every every time the Colts take a sack, you're you're holding your breath and you're wondering, okay, we took a sack, but are we going to get the ball back? You know, that's that's where the Colts were last year at times with Matt Ryan. It kind of feels like that's where they're at right now with Gardner Minshew. So taking taking good care of the football, protecting it with two hands in the pocket, that's that's certainly paramount now going forward for uh, for this Colts offense that has suffered eight turnovers that have led to 34 points of the opposition in the last two games.
1: You know, one thing that has jumped out to to me Matt is that you know Shane Steichen is not only a, a new coach with the Colts, he is a first-year head coach. He never been. You know, I'm not telling anybody stuff they don't know. But to me, with each week, he just looks the part. Like, he looks pretty confident. He looks in control. He looks pretty composed. He doesn't look – and I'm not talking about the, the – I'm just talking, like, the optics. The optics totally. are that he looks like a guy that, that, like, is completely comfortable being where he is and in control of the moment. Now, having said all of that, this might be a test for him a little bit in the fact that the culture are coming off a game that many, including their own owner – have kind of insinuated at the end was taken from them beyond their control even though they put themselves in a bad position how do you think this is another measuring stick how has Shane Steichen handled that in terms of the the balance of dwelling on or talking about those two penalties and also turning the page and saying old news we got to get on to the next no, it's a really
5: good question, and this is the first time the Colts have really been kind of put into this position, at least this year, under Shane Steichen, and what I mean by that is, you know, you've lost two games in a row, you feel like you got hosed to a degree, although, you know, to your point, like I just said, it's, there There was a lot of self-infliction in that game last Sunday, but it's still a game where you should have won, and up until, you know, 15 seconds to go, you had the game in hand, Um And he talked about it this week. You know, you're seven games in. You're kind of at the midway point of the season. You know, this week and next week kind of represent the halfway point of the season. You're three and four. The Saints are three and four. This is your last home game now for a while. You know, after this Sunday, you're only going to have one more home game of the next month. It doesn't come until the Sunday after Thanksgiving when they take on the uh, the Buccaneers. So four of your next five games are on the road. You got a trip to Carolina. You got a trip to Germany in there. There's some adversity, um, and it, you know this is the type of year, time of year, I should say, where you know you can go one way or another. You know, to me, this kind of feels like the put up or shut up bowl for both of these teams. You know, these teams are both coming to this game three and four. Uh, they've both lost back to back games. It just feels like you're either going to go one direction or another with this game coming up on Sunday. That's how I feel, and I think that's how the guys in the locker room feel about it too.
3: Voice of the Colts' Matt Taylor joins us, brought to you by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, the last two weeks, there have been flashes from Alec Pierce. He's had his highest percentage of targets since week three in that win over Baltimore, and has had some nice catches in that stretch. From your vantage point, and I want to make sure I'm fair with this, was the bar at a low point for what the Colts need or want to see week to week for Alec Pierce that these last two weeks are... Shining because of that bar, or are you seeing real steps forward over these last two, even in losses, to where okay, maybe there is something there with Pierce.
5: Well, I I think I think what you see across the board within this offense, it's pretty democratic. A lot of guys get involved. I mean, in the last two games, I think Minshew has completed passes to seven different receivers. I know it's at least six, and you know you're seeing that be spread out a little bit I and mean, Jonathan Taylor's being used more as a as a target in the passing game he's got 11 catches on the season by the way so i think that factors into it too but you know when you when you talk about a guy that's taken that step from from year 1 to year 2 you don't want to, you want to see improvement you want to see increase in production and, you know, the, the numbers this year in terms of just overall catches and targets haven't been there for Alec, but they're going to other places, which should not diminish his role and his contribution to the offense because, you know, he's allowing other guys to to step up, get open, and, you know, kind of fill that void. You know, I don't look at it in terms of, oh, my gosh, Alec Pierce is having a horrible game because, or a horrible season, I should say, because this offense... Is on fire right now. I mean, you look at it; they're scoring 25 points per game. Uh, the running game is it's pretty much close to back to full strength with Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss. If and, you know, assuming Moss can play on Sunday, uh, you got the offensive line bouncing back. He got all these explosive plays the last three weeks. Uh, it'd be one thing if if you said this offense is really struggling because Alec Pierce is struggling, but that's not the case. Josh Downs is having a tremendous rookie season. Right, he had his first 100-yard receiving game last Sunday. So it'd be one thing if if yeah the Colts were struggling to score points and they were just really you know kind of arduous on offense and, and you look at it and say a oh, big reason why is because of Pierce. Well, Pierce is just kind of going within the opportunities that that are coming to him and you know most of his opportunities come on the deep ball and I think you're seeing that with you know more time on task and synergy coming from Gardner Minshew you're seeing that I think across the board with Minshew and all these receivers but I'm not panicked at all about you know the the lack of targets and uh you know Pierce's kind of up and down nature to this point I think all of that sort of comes and that's that's the nature of this offense within this season some some Sundays Pierce is going to have you know four catches for 75 yards and then there's uh, there's going to be other times where he has one catch for a deep ball for 38 or three catches for you know a couple of uh medium range uh completions and a couple of first downs you know for like 25 yards so it's one of those things where it's just sort of ebb and flow and you know pierce is going to you know make those plays when they come to him because they've got a lot of guys around him making plays and Pittman for the 75 yard catch for a touchdown down this great season again taylor in the backfield so not at all panicked about what you're seeing from that uh, second year wide receiver
1: yeah you know, i'll tell you what matt josh downs can play right and reggie wayne throughout the process apparently is the one that said like look this guy can play yeah. now the thing to me, and I wanted you to opine on this because you you know you're around it and, and you see these guys just kind of in the way they approach things. Josh Downs is a guy that, from a familial standpoint, the NFL is not new to him. You know, he has family members that were involved in the NFL. He's been he has seen big time football play well before a lot of guys that are first getting their taste of it. And to me, you can see that because kind of like what what I said with Shane Steichen. Josh Downs doesn't seem to be a guy that at any point this year, the moment was ever too big for him. And there are some guys, understandably so, that that is the case. But the acclamation period for him has been just immediate. How much of that is just the fact that he's been prepared for this for a long time in terms of the culture in which he came up?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of it. He talked about that, you know, at the beginning of the season during training camp. He just has like this sixth sense about him you know, to play football, to understand uh, leverage on his routes, um, route combinations, uh, and also give him credit too because he's you know built up a really good rapport with you know two different quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson first, and now Gardner Minshew here, and I think he's averaging like seven targets a game in games where Minshew receives a lion's share of the reps at quarter back So those two really kind of trust one another, and um, you know, again, he just has like this ability to, to know where to go with the football, um, know where to you know kind of sit, you know, when to extend routes. He just has this this really good high football IQ about him, and I like the fact that the Colts right now they're not treating him as if he's just a slot wide receiver. You know, he, right now he's just a playmaker and. The Colts are doing a really good job, creative job, and give Shane Steichen credit for this of moving him around the offense. I think he kind of joked after the game. He's like, "I've never been in motion more in my life than I was on Sunday against the Browns. A lot of moving sideways, you know, from you know, from east to west uh, pre-snap at the line of scrimmage." So. It's really, really encouraging what they're getting out of him. Um, Like I said, his first 100 yard receiving game, he's just a playmaker, a guy that can line up in the slot, but also that can trust him to line up out wide and still win those one on one matchups. And that's what the Colts had to do last week. I think I said it on this show. They got a win against Press Man, and they did, you know, know, organically with their ability, but also, you know, again, going in motion, lining up in stacks and bunches. They got free releases last Sunday, and they're going to have to do the same thing again this Sunday because um, the Saints just like the Browns they play a high percentage of press man-to-man and Gardner Minshew is going to have to go you know quickly with the football to places to open
1: receivers by the way speaking of sixth sense like Josh Downs has you've seen the movie the sixth sense right Matt it's probably been a while but you've seen it right oh yeah okay how how far into the movie were you spoiler alert for those that haven't seen it in the 30 years since it's been out Uh, (laughs) how far into the movie were you before you realized and caught on that Bruce Willis was actually one of the dead people. I mean, at the very end. I mean, I I got fooled like everybody else. You? (laughs) I I think that's right. And then you look back, right? And you're like, oh my gosh. Like, how did I not see it, right? I mean, like, you can't unsee it once you know. Right. but, But that's the brilliance of the movie. And then... Um, M Knight Shyamalan or however you say his name Shyamalan. The, Shyamalan. The the problem is then he he got too cutesy. Right. <laughs> he got too cutesy in every movie. He was trying to outthink everybody.
5: Yeah, I try to have like some sort of underlying storyline. Right. That Lady in the Water out.
1: movie is the biggest garbage I've ever seen in my life. <laughs>
5: well, also too like the Sixth Sense is one of those movies, and maybe you disagree, but it's one of those movies where you, you 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 tip of the cap to the producer and the director, like good movie, but it's one of those movies like you only need to see once. Like I don't need to see that again, right? Because of the because of the nature of the story.
1: But it. But I will tell you though, it was great, right? I mean, let's be real. Oh yeah, it was great. Um, okay, so speaking of that, back to the we'll go back to the Colts now, Matt. I promise. Um, <laughs> you and I've talked a lot about. In the past, you know, in the morning show in particular, I remember the Colts were getting ready to play the Raiders, and we have talked openly about the fact that you and I really had a great respect for Derek Carr just as a leader and as a quarterback, but yet it seems like New Orleans also is kind of trying to find their footing. From what you've been basically able to figure out in watching them, but more so with what the Colts are saying, what kind of team is New Orleans bringing here to Lucas Oil Stadium, and what do the Colts need to be aware of?
5: Yeah, they're they're kind of this enigma.
1: I mean, they are totally.
5: Yeah, just kind of sniffing around on them and doing research and, and digging up some stuff uh, over the weekend and then early part of this week. You know, they really don't even know uh, themselves who they are. You know, the, a lot of miscommunication on offense, and you know, guys like Michael, Michael Thomas and Derek Carr and Alvin Kamara. They've been they've been asked, they've been interviewed. Like, what's what's going on? Like, why are you guys only scoring 19 points per game, right? Why are you guys? Why do Why do you guys only have 12 touchdowns on the season? You got. Too much talent uh, on this offense. The offensive line's pretty good. You've got Derek Carr's been in the NFL for nine years. Thomas is there. Olave's there. They've got uh, Moreau at tight end. Um, they've got Johnson coming back at tight end. Like this, there's too much firepower here to be kind of like middle of the road offensively and mediocre in a mediocre division there in the NFC South. And no one really has a good answer. And offensive coordinators on the hot seat a little bit. Dennis Allen is is getting heated up a little bit down there in his second year already as the head coach. You know, the the really bad analogy that I've used this week on on New Orleans is like a dead car battery. You know, it's there. All it all it needs is like a little little jump start. And that's what the Colts have to be afraid of a little bit is that if they come into this game um, at Lucas Oil Stadium and they start to hit and they start to get a little momentum and they figure out some of their timing issues and miscommunication issues, they've got all the makings to put up 30, 35 points per game and make life on you really, really difficult. So um, that's what they're trying to figure out this week. Their defense is, I would say, not as good statistically as the Browns, but they're still top four. On total defense, they're fourth against the pass. They're pretty good against the run. They really don't have any whole lot of weaknesses um, in terms of personnel um, in in all three layers of the defense. So it's just a solid team that I think should be better than three and four. But just like the Colts, like I said, I mean they've lost back to back games and they feel like they're kind of teetering, just like the Colts are teetering going into this game. You know, trying to figure out who they are and if this is a team that's capable of making a push. You know, to position themselves to be you know in the playoff. Uh, in the early part of December.
3: Our conversation with Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, is presented by Shelly Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, there are teams all across the league that value cornerback or devalue it in a way where, okay, we're willing to have young guys out there or willing to be not as deep, but we have to win at a very high level In the trenches, we need to make sure that there is not a ton of processing time for quarterbacks. We need to get to the quarterback as often as possible, particularly on the edges and with our defensive tackles. With that said, I don't want to get into Daryl Baker Jr. because we know he struggled. We know they picked on him. Cleveland did last week. If you're down Juju Brents and you're at a position group at corner where it's thin, how much more pressure and needs for success and wins in the trenches is put on this Colts defensive line?
5: No, really really good question, really good thought, and it's, you know, it's going to be paramount. And it's tougher without Grover Stewart. You know, you didn't have him last week. You're not going to have him until you know probably early December. You know, he's serving that six-game suspension. This is going to be game two of that. Um, so guys like Taven Bryan and now Adetama, Adabare have to step up. I don't know if Eric Johnson's going to be able to play. It didn't look good for him after the game in terms of his ability to kind of walk off the field, getting injured in the fourth quarter on Sunday against Cleveland. Um the one the one thing you have to wonder is EJ Speed EJ Speed is so doggone good. And Shaq Leonard's starting to ramp up here a little bit. He played about seventy two percent of the snaps. And for my money, he looked the best he's looked all season last week. You know, he's he's running around. He's um, planning quicker. I think just reacting better and faster. In terms of from from what I saw with my own two eyes, he looks like a guy that's that's ramping up. That's that's trying to get to where he was a couple years ago before all these injuries. So. He talked today about, you know, really, really being disappointed that he's still being taken off the field and still being on a somewhat of a pitch count and, you know, going off the field in some of these high leverage situations. So if you continue to trust Shaq Leonard and EJ Speed, I mean, just put him on the field. He is—he's just so good right now. You're not taking anything away from where Shaq Leonard is and, and what he's been able to establish in terms of being a playmaker throughout the course of his career. But maybe it—it's it, a long-winded answer of saying maybe you experiment with going with three linebackers on the field, knowing you're kind of banged up and depth is—is being tested right now. At corner, I just think. DJ Speed is is good enough to have you know rely on him in a couple of different different situations. I mean obviously if you're if you're playing three linebackers you're playing base but you would certainly trust EJ Speed to cover a tight end. You would trust him to cover a, a back out of the backfield in the passing game. I just don't think there's a whole lot of drop off with with having Kenny Moore play on the outside and then leaving EJ Speed in there when you go three linebackers if the Colts feel like they're they're comfortable enough doing that, knowing you might be down Juju Brents and cornerback right now is really really thin. It's being tested in terms of
0: depth. So Matt. Would- whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: When you watch The Sixth Sense, at the end of it you go, how did I not see it coming? I, it, like that was so obvious and then boom, there's your plot. When you look at the cold season thus, thus far and you look at where maybe they haven't been able to get footing or get consistently, you know, where they want to be. What is the area of this Colts team that when you if you were to go back and look at the movie of the Colts season so far is the one that you go, "You know what? I didn't realize that was what was holding them back," but clearly the area is blank. Mm. What is it?
5: I I think two one on both sides of the ball. I mean obviously it was it wasn't a problem until it became a major problem against the Jacksonville Jaguars and that's turnovers. I mean Gardner Minshew had been so clean. The Colts as a team had been so clean right and and three wins on the season, their first three wins of the year prior to Jacksonville no turnovers that led to some clean ball and you know the Colts having a chance to win and they did um, you know the the three field goal or the, the five field goal game I should say by Matt Gay not turning the ball over against the Ravens allowed them to stay in that game and to give Matt Gay a chance to win the football game but now here you are you know the last two games, eight turnovers. As I said, those eight giveaways have led to 34 points of the opposition. You are just not going to win any games. So the Colts have turned Colts have turned it over uh, four times in consecutive games for the first time since 2010. So that's one of those things where they got to get that cleaned up. It's rare that it happens, but. Here they are. It's kinda ironic that they've turned it over four uh four times in a row and back to back games, uh, with, with a quarterback like Gardner Minshew who's historically, you know, clean and smart with the football and, and knows where to go with it. So they gotta get that cleaned up on offense and then on defense, it's a good defense, Jake. But right now, it's still kind of waiting to take that next step from good to great or from great to elite, whatever you want to call it. Because right now, again, they're being put into some bad situations here lately. But sudden change is called sudden change for a reason. Because you're kind of scrambling. As a defensive player, I can attest, when your offense turns the ball over, you're thinking to yourself, oh, oh, blank, here we go again. Right now, i got to go out and play defense again you know you're you're giving the ball uh, away into the opposition and plus territory so they're already kind of in in striking distance to score but it's incumbent upon this defense to take that next step to either get themselves off the field or limit the damage to only field goals and they've given up a lot of touchdowns the last two games following sudden change so they got to get that cleaned up and then obviously it speaks for itself you just can't let pj walker and the browns offense go 80 yards when the game's on the line i know, you know the penalties you know, aided them and and whatever. But they just can't there's no there's no circumstance where PJ Walker, all due respect to him, he was a nice guy here. I enjoy talking to him, but he he just can't lead an offense eighty yards in three minutes and, and score the game winning touchdown with fifteen seconds. And that's been That's been a recurring nightmare. You know, it's kind of fitting here. We're five days away from Halloween. The Colts have allowed uh, at home the last – and since the start of 2022, they've allowed four uh, 75-plus-yard scoring drives in the fourth quarter to to lose games by one point uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. And obviously it played out last Sunday. So that's that's where they've got to get things cleaned up. And, you know, they're a good defense, but the great defenses don't let that happen, and that's what the Colts are striving for.
1: Matt, is there any – I'll use the word risk, for lack of a better phrase, but danger, whatever. Look, Gardner Minshew, we've talked about what we think of Gardner Minshew, and, and you know maybe his ceiling, but at the same time, the fact that he is a pro's pro. But since you are now riding out the rest of the year with Gardner Minshew, and you're seeing the evolution of Josh Downs, who they're finding in space, and you're seeing the use of Jonathan Taylor, um, and you know maybe getting Alec Pierce now more involved, is there any – possibility of a let letdown's the wrong word danger next year when you know you're handing the keys back over to Anthony Richardson how similar schematically what you're doing with Gardner Minshew does that translate to what you would do to utilize the skill set of Anthony Richardson and it it, will it be a smooth transition or is there the chance that next year now everybody's got to completely learn a totally different style of what is being asked of their contribution.
5: Uh, it's a good question. I don't think it's going to be all that steep because you know, the Colts have already done it like two or three times already, to be honest with you. Yeah, like in short it, bursts,
1: for sure, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, that. well, they you think about it. They did it at the beginning of April, and I know Josh Downs wasn't here because he wasn't drafted yet, but I mean, the, conceptually, right, you're, you, you put in an offense, Jim Bob Cooter's hired, Shane Steichen's hired, uh, free agency happens, right, um, uh, Gardner Minshew comes in, and they have to install... At least part of the offense, right? The nuts and bolts of the offense, just to, to be able to go through meetings and have um, some some you know preliminary OTAs, if you will. Um, so then Anthony Richardson gets gets uh, drafted. Um, they start tailoring the offense specifically to him, uh, knowing that we want him to start. He's got to earn it, but but he has to to to, to go out and, and play well. But we are going to tailor some some things on offense to to his strengths uh, coming from college, and then. In training camp, it was kind of like two different offenses – Going on simultaneously, right? One day Gardner Minshew would get the lion's share of the reps. Another day it would be Anthony Richardson. So it was like little subtleties within the offense. But the offense is the offense. They just change and kind of tweak it and massage it, if you will, based on who's playing quarterback and playing to those uh, to, to to that quarterback's strengths, I should say. Um, so I don't think it's going to be all that dramatic when Anthony Richardson comes back in the spring. Hopefully that's the case. But I think the offense is the offense in terms of the terminology and the overall scheme, it's just calling plays that are suited to have one quarterback succeed over another in terms of what they're trying to do uh, and put stress on on the uh, opposing defense, if that makes sense.
1: Have you been finding yourself more going to Yats to prepare for this game or more going to the Rathskeller to prepare for the Germany trip? (laughs) Which
5: is... I'm more of a I I'm more of a German German beer guy than I am a, uh-huh. a, a You gotta be dangerous at continue. the Raskeller, man. You gotta be careful, right?
1: You gotta be careful that you oh, know, those 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 what do they
5: call the Hefeweizens? those bad boys work now. You only oh, need no. one of those.
1: I know. It's like and it comes in a silo, which is the best part, right? <laughs> That's right. Those guys are the best, man. Those guys at the Raskeller are the absolute best. Matt I Taylor wedding, again
5: I had my wedding reception at the Raskeller, so Did
1: you really? I, I can attest. Hey, Shout out to them. Derek Schultz had his bachelor party they started at the Skeller, and that was a real bad idea, right? <laughs> oh, you're not leaving the Raskiller if you're starting at the Raskeller. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> you ain't kidding, Matt. You ain't kidding. All right, again, uh, Colts Roundtable, you're going to hear at 6 o'clock Friday night getting you set for the weekend of football. And then, of course, pregame starting at 9 o'clock coverage on this radio station before Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, Lara Overton have the call. Colts and Saints Sunday from Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt, appreciate it. Yep, my pl- my pleasure, guys. Be good.